0: A little hesitation there, but I think even the 8 o'clock crowd was more excited about them than you guys. New series Sunday, um, The Counselor. I don't know how many of you have ever been to see a counselor before. Um, I thought about starting my message with that question, but then I thought, maybe that's not a good way to start a series. Who all has been to see a counselor before? Oh, not me, right? Well, I have been to see a counselor before. It was uh, during a time in my life when I wasn't walking with God. And I had made some, uh, got myself into a situation uh, because I had made some poor choices. And uh, I basically had a couple of options. I could spend uh, six months in jail or I could go to counseling for a year. What do you think I chose? (laughs) Yeah. I said, sign me up for the counseling. So I go to my first counseling session, and and I'm thinking that this guy's going to kind of give me a pathway, you know, give me some answers for how to kind of get some things straightened out in my life, but imagine my surprise when uh, he didn't give me any answers at all. In fact, uh, at some point, I began to think, you know, this guy's just asking me a bunch of questions. You're supposed to be giving me answers, and he's asking me questions, right? And and not not just, you know, like yes and no questions, but those really open-ended questions that you had to kind of think about and give, you know paragraph answers to. And I really, at one point, I thought, now wait a minute. This, This isn't how this is supposed to work. Aren't you supposed to be giving me the answers? Aren't you supposed to be telling me, you know, what to do here? So what I didn't realize at the time was, and if you've ever been to counseling or worked with a life coach, you know that oftentimes the best way to find truth and direction is on the other side of a good question, all right? Now, in my case, Uh, these counseling sessions took place right after I had come back to the Lord. I had surrendered my life to the Lord. I was going to church. I was reading my Bible. I was surrounding myself with people who were encouraging me and holding me accountable in my relationship with God. And and God really honored that in in a big way because once I surrendered my heart to God and started doing the things that would draw me close to him... The, the counselor that I was seeing actually, actually kind of took note of that. In fact, there, I would, I would witness to my counselor. I'd go in and talk with him and kind of witness to him a little bit about, you know, what God was doing in my life. And the, the change was evident so real to him, I guess, that, uh, after two months of counseling, he called my probation officer and said, I didn't have to go to counseling anymore. That's a miracle. That's a miracle right there. He, he was, he saw the change in my life. And really felt like, you know what, I think that I've helped him as much as I can. Now, did the counselor help me? Absolutely. Absolutely he helped me. But who helped me more was the wonderful counselor. The wonderful counselor. And I come up with that title. I actually stole that from the prophet Isaiah. That's a title for Jesus that we usually don't see except during the holidays. It's found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. So let's read it. He says, for to us, he's talking about Jesus here, for to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Not just Counselor, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And one of the things that made Jesus such a Wonderful Counselor was how he always seemed to ask the right questions. It's been said that good leaders ask great questions, but great leaders ask the right questions questions. The next time you're reading through the Gospels, I challenge you to do this. When you're reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, take note of how many times Jesus asked questions. Because I think it's a little enlightening. You might surprise you. One source I read this past week said that, and this is really interesting, during his life and ministry, Jesus asked, Jesus was asked 183 questions. All right. Jesus was asked 183 questions of which he only answered three, which I again, you know, I think that's kind of interesting. He's asked 183 questions. He only directly answered three, but he himself asked over 300 questions, 307 questions to be exact. So my theory is most of those 307 questions that Jesus asked was in response to some of the questions that were being asked of him. Because any good counselor, like any good counselor, Jesus answered questions with the question of his own. So asking questions was a huge part of Jesus' life and teachings. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some important questions that Jesus asked and then let him, by the power of his Holy Spirit, be our counselor. And if you're here this morning and happen to be going through a particularly difficult time, you came on the right day because the first question that we're going to look at in this new series is this right here, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Then next week, the Lord willing, will speak to those who have like an ongoing challenge, maybe a habit that you can't break, maybe a physical problem that you can't overcome. Jesus asked a question that on the surface seems obvious, but when you dig underneath the surface, it's really a profound question. And the question is this, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? Then week three, which is Vision Sunday, we'll be looking at the question, do you believe I can do this? Do you believe I can do this? And then we'll conclude the series on Easter weekend when we'll address one of the biggest challenges, I believe, in the modern church today, and yet one of the least talked about subjects. For those who have spiritual doubts, we're going to see Jesus ask the question, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? So to begin our series this morning, I want to give the context for this first question. Why are you so afraid? It's found in Mark chapter four, and here's a little bit of the backstory. Jesus had been teaching by the Sea of Galilee, and when he got done teaching, he and the disciples got into a boat and set sail for the other side. On this particular day, when he finished teaching, he gets in there, and he instructs his disciples. He says, come on, guys, let's get into the boat. We need to go to the other side. And Mark tells us what happened in Mark 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now, the Sea of Galilee was really, it really wasn't a a sea. It was like a large lake. It was about 13 miles long and about eight miles wide. So probably the minimum distance that they would have been traveling would have been, uh, well, you know, say eight miles from here to Baldwin, maybe something like that. But on water, rowing against the wind. So they had a pretty daunting task ahead of them. Verse 36, Mark 4. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. That's an important point to note. When Jesus and his disciples got into the boat to go, there were other people that had boats that also did the same thing. Verse 37, this is where the story gets really interesting. A furious squall, or ES, the standard version says a great windstorm, came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So in trying to capture a sense of the fear that that must have gripped the disciples at this moment, see, I've never been on a sinking boat before, but I got to thinking probably the closest I've come to, I mean, really being afraid for my life was on a flight one time when we hit some turbulence. Anyone ever been on a flight where you hit, I mean, not just a little turbulence, but like a lot of turbulence? I mean, that that can be kind of a scary thing, right? Isn't it interesting how, you know, fear can be this tremendous motivator? People who hadn't prayed in years all of a sudden feel called to pray, right? When they feel like something like that might be threatening them. So, so there's, there was this paralyzing fear among the disciples because they think they're going to sink. In verse 38, Mark 4, but he was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Hold on, time out. Jesus was in the boat there's a storm going on and he's sleeping on a cushion at the back of the boat. Does anyone else find that a little odd? Even even a little bit humorous, right? The disciples woke him up and said to him, "Teacher, don't you care if we drown?" Now, here's the thing. I know it says that Jesus was sleeping and I'm not and I'm I'm not trying to discount the the Bible here, but honestly, I don't think Jesus was sleeping at all. I think he was doing one of those things where it's like And I think he's having this conversation with the father. Hey, let's see, let's see how they respond to this, especially Peter. I want to see what Peter's going to do in this. Really, I, I don't know that Jesus was asleep at all. Either way, he got up in verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and was completely calm. He said to his disciples, verse 40, and here's our question, say it with me. Why are you so afraid? One more time. Why are you so afraid? Come on, guys. I'm in the boat with you. How how come you're so afraid? Haven't you seen some of the things I've done? Why are you freaking out about this? And then he says this, do you still have no faith? Verse 41, Mark 4, they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Sea of Galilee is about 680 feet below sea level, so it's surrounded on all sides by mountains, which, according to meteorologists, makes this a prime area for just storms that blow up out of nowhere suddenly and quickly, and that's seemingly what what happened here, you know, how these storms just kind of come up out of nowhere, kind of like in Kansas, right? Kind of like where we live in Kansas. Uh, what, what, What happened yesterday? wind chill was seven degrees, really? Sue and I are out running errands, and I said, this is unacceptable, <laughs> this, this, this is just unacceptable, and, and, I, and I told God, I take back everything I said about the snowbirds, I get it now, why people go to Florida, or South Texas, or Arizona, because this is ridiculous, I mean, you, you can go to work, and it's 61, and you come home, and it's 21, and sleeting, that's kind of how some of these storms are. I mean out of nowhere. And here's the here's one of the lessons that we learn from this story and it's this right here. The size of the storm is usually not as scary as the surprise of the storm. Isn't that true? I mean sometimes yeah it can be a big storm, but usually it's not the size of it, it's like it just kind of came out of nowhere, caught us by surprise. And that that kind of you know kind of sucker punches us there. What's ironic? What's ironic is Peter tells us that we shouldn't be surprised at all whenever we face a storm or a fiery trial was the phrase he used. First Peter 4 verse 12, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal or the storm that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So you can be going along through life. Things are going well. Bills are being paid. 401K is doing well. Kids are making good grades. Chiefs won the Super Bowl again. And then, bam, you go to work Monday morning and find out. I mean, seemingly out of nowhere, you find out your company's downsizing and you're not a part of their plan going forward. Or it could be a situation where maybe your marriage is better than it's ever been. You're sailing along. Your spouse goes to the doctor one day to check something out. And then suddenly, you've got horrible news. And you feel like, just when you thought things were getting back on track, Just out of nowhere, you've got the rug pulled out from under you and you don't know what you're going to do. Or you think your kids are doing well, right? You've been praying and praying and praying. You think they're finally on the right track and then something happens and you find out the truth. And then suddenly, when your child's making bad decisions, it really doesn't matter what else in your life's going on because that kind of consumes you, doesn't it, parents? When when your child's not making, doesn't that kind of consume you? and you're in the middle of a storm. What's interesting to me is that church people are usually the best at hiding the storms that they're in. You think about it. The the times that we should be the most vulnerable are the times that we do just the opposite, and we turn inward, and we put on masks. And some of you right now, you look totally fine, but on the inside, you're in the midst of a storm, and no one even knows about it. Sometimes we can look good on the outside. No one would ever know that when you go to sleep at night, sometimes you have to cry yourself to sleep. Sometimes you feel so lonely, you can't even explain it. So you put on a smile and hide the fact that you're in the midst of a storm. In fact, I just want to ask the question here. Is there anyone here who would have the courage to admit that you or maybe someone close to you is going through a a storm right now? That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Hey, we live in a fallen world. It happens, right? If that's you, if that's you, I want you to listen as Jesus, the wonderful counselor, asks this piercing question. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? I want to point out two things that we should always remember anytime we're going through a storm. And the first one is this here. You're in the storm with his presence. He's with you in the midst of the storm. Verse 38, Mark 4. But he was, where? In the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Sleeping on a cushion, right? Jesus was in the boat with them. Now, see, the problem here is a lot of people think that, now, wait a minute. If Jesus is in the boat with me, we shouldn't be in a storm, right? Right? There are people that think that, no, 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 wait a minute. I I thought that once I came to Jesus, you know, it would be smooth sailing, right? I, sh- I shouldn't have to deal with these kind of things anymore. But that's not true. In fact, in fact, Jesus indicated just the opposite. His exact words were, in this world, you shall have tribulation. Some translations say trouble. In other words, in this world, you're going to have storms. They're going to happen. But he says, take heart because I've overcome the world. See, Jesus never promised you a storm-free life. What he promises you is that the storm will never sink you. That's what he promised you because God's for you and Jesus is in the boat with you. And that's the game changer. That's the game changer. I read this interesting article, talked about um, older people. So all you older people, if you want to take notes here, this might be beneficial to you. And it said that older people actually live longer if there's something else living in the house with them. Isn't that interesting? Seriously, all you old people start taking notes here. It might gain you a few years, right? This is good stuff, right? It, 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 could, it, it could be a plant. It could be a dog. It could be a hamster. You know, it, it, it could be a ferret. It could be an old geezer who hogs the remote. It could, in some, some studies, the verdict's still out, some studies said that maybe even cats could help extend life. I don't know about that. Um, but every now and then, Every now and then some of you are going to be going through a storm and it's going to get really bad. It's going to get really bad and people are going to be watching. And they're going to ask you, man, how how are you making it through this? I mean, I I just, I can't imagine going through what you're going through. How how do you do it? How how can you have this peace and confidence in the midst of this storm that you're going through right now? And what you're going to be able to tell them is because there's there's someone living in my house with me Jesus is in the boat with me. Not just just that's bringing life, but Jesus is the author of life. Jesus is in the boat. He's in my house. And because he's with me, I can sense his strength and comfort. Just because I'm in the storm doesn't mean he's not with me. Never, listen dear ones, never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Uh, two people, and uh, now see, I, in my mind, I envisioned just so many amens coming back at me after I said that line, so I'm going to give you one more chance. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Amen. There you go. There you go. So the next time you find yourself in the midst of a storm, remember the most famous psalm, but I want you to personalize it. Psalm 23, 4. The psalmist says, even though I walk through, notice he's going through, he's not gonna stay there. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He never, he never promised that the storm wouldn't rock you. He promised that the storm wouldn't sink you because he's in your house, because he's in your boat. You're not alone in the middle of the storm. You're in the storm with his presence. The second thing, the second thing we need to understand you're in the storm for his purpose. You're in the storm with his presence and you're in the storm for his purpose. Now think about this. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. So whose idea was it to go to the other side? It was Jesus. It was his idea to go to the other side. Let's go over to the other side. Now, later we find out why they went to the other side of the lake. It was to minister to a demon-possessed man who was cutting on himself and hurting himself. And Jesus, being the son of God, knew that they would encounter a storm when they went to the other side of the lake. The point being, now watch this, it was Jesus' idea to go across the lake knowing that they would encounter a storm. So from that line of logic, we can say that they weren't in the storm because they were out of God's will. They were actually in the storm Because they were right smack dab in the middle of God's will. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Which begs the question, does this mean that God caused the storm? And honestly, that's a topic that we don't have time to get into. In fact, there's no one that can adequately answer that question. Did God cause the storm or did God allow the storm? But I can tell you this. I can tell you that God always uses the storm. He'll always use the storm to help grow and mature our faith. In fact, this is why James, the brother of Jesus, could say something as powerful as this in James 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy. In other words, move to the state of worship within your soul. You're so full of joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, wait a minute. Time out. Seriously, that sounds so ridiculous, James. It really does. You rejoice in the midst of storms. Why? Why should we do that, James? Well, he tells us in verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith, some of you right now, guess what? You're in the middle of a test, right? And, 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 and what's the purpose of, what's the purpose of any test? Any good, why does any good teacher give you a test? To see what you've learned so that you can move to the next level right? And and that's what God is doing through these storms. He's helping us grow our faith so we can get to the next level of faith. So the next storm that we hit, we'll be better off for it. And then James says, he tells us that this faith produces perseverance because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Verse four, James one, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, God won't keep storms from coming our way, but he will use storms as opportunities to blow up our faith in a good way, to grow our faith as we learn to trust him. In fact, for some of you, the difference between where you are right now and where God ultimately wants you to be is the storm that you have yet to face, right? Every person you know, you think about this, every person you know that has big big, huge faith, I promise you this, they have been through some storms with Jesus. They know his faithfulness. They know his presence. They've learned that there's a purpose in every single storm, and they learned that God's presence is with them in every storm, that God is doing something on the inside of them, something in the midst of that storm that they couldn't learn any other way. Now, did he cause it or did he allow it? I don't know, but I know this, he uses it. Whether he caused it or allowed it, I don't know. But I do know that he'll use it. He'll use it for our benefit. A couple years after I had surrendered my life to the Lord, I made a decision to go to Bible school. And at the time, I wasn't doing that to because I th- I was gonna be in the ministry. In fact, at that time, I had no desire to be in the ministry. I, I was doing it because I was struggling in my walk with God, and, and so I just felt like, you know, I just need to make a clean break here and, and get away from my old friends, my old environment. So I went down to this Bible school in Dallas, Christ for the Nations Institute, and I thought, all right, God, I'm gonna put myself in an environment where I can grow in my faith. So I packed up everything I owned, threw it in my 62 Chevy pickup, and drove to Dallas, Texas, and enrolled at Christ for the Nations Institute in August of 1976, excuse me, 78. They had a policy there for your tuition that you could pay half at enrollment and then pay the other half by October 1st. So I only had half, but I, you know, I'm I'm trusting God. God's calling me down there. So I'm going to go down and I'll pay half my tuition and trust God to bring in the rest of my tuition. So I moved down there. I enrolled for that semester. I did get a part-time job, but I wasn't making very much money. And all of a sudden D-Day was coming, October 1st, where I owed the second half of my tuition. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I I didn't have the money and I didn't know where I was going to get the money. And it was it was doing a number on me. I, it was really bothering me. I didn't know for sure because I I kept, was going through all these emotions. I was kind of God. I thought for sure I heard from you, and now I'm not sure. And so I was confused. I was I was scared. I was angry. I wasn't sure what to do. So that morning, October first, even though it was sunny out, the registrar's office didn't open till one o'clock. So I went ahead, went to my classes, thinking, okay, this might be it. Last time I go to classes, they're going to send me home because I don't have the rest of my tuition. So I went to my classes, and the guest speaker that week was a local pastor and evangelist in Dallas, a guy by the name of J.C. Hibbard. And J.C. Hibbard was one of those old-school Pentecostal preachers that just could really shuck the corn. And you know what topic he preached on? You know what his passage was that morning? Mark chapter 4 and the storm with the disciples in the boat. And I don't remember all of his points, but I remember how he finished his sermon before he prayed over us. He said this. He made this, com- he made this comment. He said, he said, as long as Jesus is in the boat, there's always hope. Because if you go down, then Jesus goes down. And brothers and sisters, Jesus ain't going down. <laughs> That's exactly how he said it. So after the service was over, I started my walk of shame over to the registrar's office to tell him, hey, you know, I don't have the rest of my money, so I'll go ahead and pack my things and, and leave. But I, didn't, I remember praying this prayer. I called God out on this. I said, okay, I'm praying what Brother Hibbert said. Jesus, if I'm going down, you're going down with me. And that's exactly what I said. We're going down together on this, Jesus. I get over to the registrar's office. I'm waiting in line. Finally, my turn came up. And then as I walked up to the window, Dr. Rents, who was a registrar, he saw me walking up and he said, oh, hey, Curtis. He said, I tried getting a hold of you yesterday. He said, uh, we got the, the second half of your tuition in the mail yesterday. I, sa- I said, what? He said, we, we, got, we got the other half. We got a check for the other half of your tuition in the mail. And I said, from who? And he said, I don't know. He said, there, there wasn't a return address. And I said, well, where was the postmark from? And he said, Fort Smith, Arkansas. And I'm like, I don't know anyone. I didn't know anyone. In fact, after last night, I hate Arkansas. <laughs> but I, I didn't know anyone. and To this day, I'm serious. To this day, I don't know who sent that. But it was the exact amount. And even though, as I look back on it, I've faced a whole lot more difficult storms since then. But the reason that that one was so important, the reason that one was so impactful is because that was the first time where I just really had to trust Jesus. There was no plan B. You know, sometimes we we say we're trusting God, but we've got a plan B in our pocket, you know, just in case God does so we can, you know, help God out. No, no, no. There was no plan B. Jesus was my plan B. And that was the first time that I was kind of out there and having to totally trust him. And from that point on, from that point on, I have learned to trust that God, that Jesus is in the boat with me anytime I go through a storm. Now, do I still get scared at times? Absolutely, absolutely. The key is to make sure I get refocused on these two things the moment that I find myself in a storm. Number one, I'm in the storm with his presence. Number two, I'm in the storm for his purpose. I'm in the storm with his presence. I'm in the storm for his purpose. See, our faith should be in the one who's in the boat. The disciples hadn't got there yet, so they're panicking that Jesus is sleep, sleeping in the stern of the boat when this huge storm pops up. Now look, and look how they address Jesus here in Mark four thirty eight. The disciples woke him and said to him, "'Teacher,' Don't you care if we drown? They call him teacher. See, in just a few minutes, they're going to call him Lord. But on the other side of that, he was just teacher to them. Teacher, we're sinking. We're going to drown. Wake up, Jesus. Wake up. And what does Jesus do? Verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still.